What's going on, everybody? And welcome to another episode of the State of the Nova Nation podcast presented by VU Hoops. I'm Emma Houghton. He's Pat Zhang. And Pat, we are through the hard part. And I think this is probably our most positive episode so far this season. We'll be recapping Villanova's 70-66 to win over Oklahoma back on Saturday. We're going to talk about the debut of a pretty important guy. Hmm. Hopefully people are excited about that. But definitely more positive than we've been in a while, Pat. It feels pretty good. It's a great day to be a Wildcat. I'm feeling good. I was feeling great on Saturday. That was a huge win over the Oklahoma Sooners. The the best you know win that Villanova has had by far this far this season. And we don't even have to go into it. But that was, or we will go into it, but we don't have to do it right now. That felt like the return of Villanova basketball mm-hmm. to me. And there were many aspects of that. But at a macro level, we just start there. And it was the last chance for Villanova to get a big out-of-conference win. Oh, without so a doubt. Quite, quite literally, it was a do-or-die game for their March chances, unless they're able to just completely turn things around and win at Creighton and at UConn and at Xavier, and the list goes on and on. But in terms of out-of-conference schedule, this was their last chance, and thank goodness they did it. There will be ample chances at huge wins and huge road wins uh, with this conference, just understanding exactly as you went to through some of the top heavy teams in the Big East, though, like, hello, Marquette as well. They throttled Baylor last week. I know St. John's dropped a tough one to Iowa State over the weekend, but I I think, you know, you're seeing a, a decent amount of the Big East starting to establish themselves after a bit of a rough start. Uh, in the conference, yes, there's still some teams that this isn't going to be a flagship year, but plenty of opportunities come, you know, end of December, January, February for this Nova team to really plant their flag. Yeah. And we've talked about how Michigan State and Iowa State, even Temple won't go down as terrible losses as these teams continue to do well, but they needed at least one W, <laughs> especially before they return home. We were talking before we started recording about how excited Pat is for Wednesday night against Penn because it's it's starting the the real season it feels like out of conference or almost dreamlike games and all the traveling and the games are so um not on a schedule and discombobulated now it feels like we're really getting to a rhythm and it starts Wednesday night on a much better foot than it would have if this if if Nova had dropped that game at the Wells Fargo Center back into a rhythm, back into a consistent slew of games coming up. And most importantly for this Villanova team, you know, back at home for a, you know, a game we just had at Wells Fargo at Saturday at the pavilion on Wednesday, Newark is not that far, you know, from campus for this upcoming weekend, things are getting a lot better. Um, Even an away game in Philly against St. Joseph's and then a a home game against St. John's really that takes you through uh, the 21st of December here. So after having to travel to Michigan state and then all the way out to Portland, Villanova is going to get an extended uh, period of time here, a lot more local than they were, which uh, I think is really, really important for this team as it really looks to find its groove and find itself, which it certainly started doing on Saturday. It definitely looks better, <laughs> much more positive. Exactly. So we are going to spend the episode today talking all about the Oklahoma game. We're a few days removed from it now, so we won't go possession by possession, similar to how we did it with the Portland weekend. We're going to talk about big ideas, big moments, big players, 
big takeaways, and then we will spend the end of the episode previewing Penn. And then for your Thursday episode, we will have a game recap of the Penn game because that we will be recording that right after that game ends. So super excited for today. And Pat, without further ado, we're what, three episodes in and it's three episodes, three minutes too long to go without talking about Cam Whitmore. Oh, you're going to go with the Cam Whitmore. I was saying, I wanted to start with Caleb Daniels, but oh, we true. can start. We can start with, with Cam Whitmore. Cam Whitmore finally did make that much anticipated debut on Saturday. Of course, the five-star prospect from Maryland was supposed to be on a minutes restriction going into this game, though he did play 20 minutes, which I do find slightly comical with a minutes restriction. However, I do think there was some sort of limitation put into place that he didn't pass that 20 minute mark. He made a big impact. He also made some plays that clearly showed this was a freshman playing in his first game of college basketball after missing the last couple months of practice. But it's got to be such a shot in the arm to have a guy out there with that type of pedigree and that type of talent uh, that can really join join the team and, and start to make an impact early, and he most certainly did. And Neptune was adamant that if it was any other player he wouldn't have even been able to keep up after being away from basketball activity for so long. So it seemed like even the coaching staff was impressed by how well Whitmore was able to adapt and adjust. And again, that 20 minutes didn't feel like it in the first half because he did play so much. And I remember so many people were joking about how this much anticipated debut for Whitmore and he plays like four minutes off the bench and doesn't <laughs> get any shots up. That, that would have been hurtful to us but maybe not all that surprising so I think it was a huge huge step for him to play as much as he did not I don't think he played at all in the last 10 minutes or so of that second half very limited at least down the stretch yeah but showed a ton of potential offensively and defensively and certainly wasn't the reason why Villanova won that game I'm putting that pretty much all in Daniels's basket because I think that was by far his best game of the season but one of my favorite things from the game also was that, or I think this was the day after, Tommy Godden, who is one of the best Villanova Phenomenal. basketball follows on Twitter, posted the next day that, I guess on your Apple Watch, you can see the most decibels that has ever been recorded in your vicinity. Cam Whitmore's first minute in the game, his entrance to the court, was second to only Bryce Harper's go-ahead home run in the NLCS this year. <laughs> so <laughs> Villanova is obviously very, very excited about Cam Whitmore, and I think he lived up to expectations in his first 20 minutes. I was proud to say I contributed to that audio level Love that. on Saturday there. was, of course, very excited to see Cam check in, and he checked in pretty early as well mm -hmm. uh, in the first half, which I was exciting for all of us to see. Maybe even more interestingly, he checked in about 20 seconds into the second half, which was Honestly, it really caught me by surprise to see him uh, check in so early on in the second half. But looking at Whitmore specifically, uh, the physicality and the power was on clear display for what this type of athlete brings. What what I think here, it's actually, it, it goes a little further than that too. It also goes into his basketball IQ. Yes, there was the crossover step back three, which I think had all of us drooling because there is not a player on this current roster that is able to, you know, has that in their bag of tricks, but my favorite play from Whitmore in this game, uh, as I said, really going to the IQ, is that he was at the top of the key ball handling. He forced a switch onto Tanner Groves, who is a very good player, but of course a little larger and a little less fleet of foot. He drove straight at him, lowered his shoulder, and finished through with a layup. 
And what you saw there, A, was, again, the understanding of the game to force a mismatch, something that Villanova has been exploited so many times on the defensive side of the ball. Well, Whitmore now gives them the opportunity to really bring it out on the other side. And B, just the pure physical talent to lower that shoulder into a very talented, very large uh, player for Oklahoma and Tanner Groves and finish over him. That's just the little bit that we got to see of Cam Whitmore on Saturday that I think gets you so excited. You should have heard Bill Raftery when he made that point. (laughs) He was drooling just as much as you were, apparently. But yeah, I mean... We knew that he was a physical specimen. I don't know until I saw him actually on the court how much that truly was true because <laughs> he is extremely physically imposing. But we've been waiting for a Villanova player to create their own shot. And when Daniels has good games, he's able to do that. And when his shots go in, that obviously looks better for him. But this is the first true shooter shot maker able to create their own shot in space besides Justin Moore on this roster. And that is a huge shot in the arm offensively. It it most certainly is. Um, what he did too was just all the different dimensions that he brought. He struggled a little bit from deep. I certainly think he was pressing uh, a little bit there, especially at the start was most certainly trying to get that first bucket, throwing up a couple yeah. of threes, but you know that he can make it. And I think we're only going to see him grow there. Uh, I talked about it. I just love the fact that he got in the lane and, and was not afraid whatsoever uh, to do so. And I, I think that's only going to continue to grow here. I'm also really interested in what sort of impact Whitmore had on defense uh, for mm-hmm. this team. Of course he adds length. I, I did rewatch the game uh, on Sunday. I wanted to watch it from a broadcast view to be able to try and catch some things back, and I really keyed it on him. I thought he might struggle a little bit on, on some of the man, you know, some of the switches around that. Assignment-wise, he was pretty good. There were a couple times where there was a little too much space that went in between it where he was trying to relocate his man after running through a screen or some off-ball movement, but there was nothing striking that came out of that, which is very impressive. Cause as we know, one of the most difficult parts of becoming a Villanova player is really understanding the defensive system. And while I'm not going to say it was seamless, uh, it was pretty close to it. And, and he certainly seemed to adapt rather quickly. We saw some flashes of speed. I know he had a couple steals and then he pushed the tempo up the floor, which mm-hmm. my God, how refreshing was that to see, to see Villanova try and run a little bit. I know Jay Wright even called that out on the broadcast. So I don't know how you do not come away with that first appearance being really excited while even understanding it was still a limited version of him. Yeah, I'm smiling like a goon just hearing you talk. And I was going to say all this stuff too, but it's just so exciting to finally have him and to think of how much higher the ceiling for this team just got. Oh my God, it's so exciting. Uh, So segueing a little bit, speaking about Cam still as well, I was a little bit surprised that... You talked about tempo. Defensively, they didn't try and force the three-quarter or full-court press with him. Mm -hmm. They did it a lot down the stretch, but he wasn't in that lineup when they usually put it out there. But that also brings up the the question of rotation. Another thing that we could have started with, different starting five for the first time this season. Armstrong made his start. I don't know if this info ever came out, if Jordan Longino was struggling a little bit with a, with an injury and that's why Armstrong got the starting nod over him, 
coincidentally, I actually think this was Longino's best game of the season. Mm. So maybe coming off the bench is just a more comfortable role for him. But it makes me drool a little bit when I think about the versatility and the athleticism and the tempo that can start to come into this team's identity when you have Whitmore, Armstrong, Longino, Slater, et cetera, on the floor at one time. So uh, I will toot my own horn a little bit and say I did call this. You did call uh, with, it, with Pat, Mark Armstrong 100%. Coming in for Longino. Yeah. Now, you all listening are saying, no, you didn't. What are you talking about? You are correct. I did not say this on the podcast, but Eugene and Emma have the receipts from that. I did text <laughs> them on Friday that my sneaking suspicion is that Mark Armstrong will be in the lineup over Jordan Longino on Saturday. But you were you were also saying it in a laughing way. Like, what? Watch, no, watch, no, Emma, watch please. all this buzz and, uh, jo- and Jordan's actually just going to come on the bench. No, no, you, you couldn't read my tone through that text. Yes, I, I was half joking for it. Um, and a lot of it, I did say that too, because I wondered how healthy is Jordan Longino going to be. Right. It's a point we, we talked about on Thursday a little bit. I really like Mark Armstrong being in this starting lineup be just because of that added ball handling dimension that he brings, and especially a lot of that quickness that comes with it as well. Now, that said, and Villanova had another horrific start, which is something that is becoming way too common for this Wildcat team. Just 12 points in the first 10 minutes. I actually think it might have been 12 points in the first 12 minutes or so as well. So still struggling to really get off the ground. Uh, however, I I kind of land in the same boat as you. I wonder here if this is a lineup change that we'll continue to see going forward. I wonder if we get to Wednesday and Mark Armstrong is not in there. Jordan Longino is not in there and Cam Whitmore immediately you know, mm. gets into that starting lineup and it's Armstrong and Longino off the bench. However, I I do think that Longino played very well off the bench. He still logged 23 minutes as well. So even if it, he got, say, kicked to the bench because that knee has been nagging, he still played a ton of minutes there. He hasn't been able to get into a scoring groove of late. He started the season a little better and then has gone cold. A lot of that has been, as we've talked about, he's left a ton of his jumper short, but he was a little more aggressive uh, on Saturday. I the, the one that really sticks with you is the reverse layup he basically did underneath the basket where he drove at them at Oklahoma. He was in the paint a little bit, backing down some guys and looking for kickouts. I liked Longino's game, and we know what he can bring on the defensive side uh, as well. So, it's going to be a curious one for me. If he sticks on the bench, if he goes back into the rotation, that is most certainly something I'll be watching on Wednesday. Yeah, my ideal starting five without more yet is Armstrong, Daniels, Whitmore, Slater, Dixon. And then you have Longino and Arch coming off the bench one, two. You saw Housen in the first five minutes of the first half, which I thought was in- extremely promising because this is something we talked about with Chris Nataro from tip time on Thursday. This these three freshmen and uh I'm sorry, not freshmen, Angelo Brizzy, Redshirt freshman, Armstrong, and Housen. What is the minute distribution going to look like with Whitmore in the mix now? I think Housen is too good of a scorer to leave him on the bench, even with the defensive deficiencies. Mm. But I feel the same way. I thought Longino was more explosive than he had been. And when it comes to the slow starts. I wouldn't be surprised if they continue to tinker with the starting five because kind of what we were saying last week, why not try and risk it at this point? And it obviously worked because you came away with the win on Saturday. The issue is they're trying to harp on specific things. Like against Oklahoma, they knew that Grant Sherfield was the number one scoring threat. Absolute stud, by the way. 
he was really good. I actually think despite the box, when he finished with 21 points, he was seven of 16 for shooting six for eight from three. I actually thought they did a decent job on him in the first 10 minutes or so, but that allowed the Groves to get a lot of space and they did really well. So they're just, there's still so many deficiencies. Yeah. Right. That they couldn't focus on one thing and that shot shot up. I mean, put Oklahoma down and you're going to see that more in the future because all of the teams in the Big East are multidimensional with a lot of different scoring threats. They, they most certainly are. If we look at Oklahoma here and kind of go into their offensive game plan, it was exactly as we diagnosed last week where Oklahoma attempted their most threes in a game this year, which mm-hmm. is tied with how many they they attempted in a UNC Wilmington game where they took 23 threes. And even with those 23 threes, they made 44%, which is still way too high. So Villanova is still struggling a little bit on that perimeter defense and Oklahoma most certainly identified that through both groves as well as especially Grant Shurfield who as we said was an absolute stud and I have been incredibly impressed with him I've seen him in a couple of games this year Uh, he's a now a two-time transfer in his career has ended up at Oklahoma with Porter Moser was there at Nevada as well as Wichita State you know three programs that have been pretty well off over the last decade or so and I think he brings that pedigree with him there But what Villanova did do and tried to do something differently here on defense, and you brought it up a little bit, they went to the press and they went to it a lot more often Mm -hmm. than than we had seen in the previous games, which you know I love because I've been calling for it basically since the second game of the season here. And while I don't think it forced a ton of turnovers for Oklahoma, it at least allows for them or doesn't allow for them to get into their offensive set right away and, and can make things a little difficult even with a little bit more of the pressure around center court, we saw Cam Whitmore force a turnover around the sideline uh, in the second half. Eric Dixon had the big kind of swat uh, around the three-point line, which led to Longino driving before he got fouled and went to the free throw line to help ice things for Villanova. I really liked that they brought it. They adjusted, did something different, and didn't just sit back and zone, something that I think Oklahoma was prepared for with uh, mm-hmm. coming in with that three-point approach. We we did see zone, but we didn't see it a lot. But instead, we saw a much more aggressive man approach from them. And, of course, Brandon Slater was ahead of this press. But when it wasn't Slater, most interestingly, Mark Armstrong was at the yeah. head of the press a lot, which, again, I think – is a huge compliment to the athleticism and the defensive prowess he already possesses as a freshman playing his first, you know, seven, eight games of his college career. Yeah, using their strengths to their advantage, which is exactly what they should be doing. I actually, going into the game, didn't even have that much of a problem with the zone because Tanner Groves, their big man, isn't that good of a shooter. So mm. that has killed Nova in Jacob the past. Jacob certainly because... is, as we saw. <laughs> that's that's the issue. <laughs> they were just other heads that they had to kill instead so they're definitely still trying defensively to find the perfect balance and when it comes down to it because they struggle so much when it comes to -to man-to-man it might just have to be a revolving door of defensive schemes they Mm -hmm. might just have to switch whenever a team starts to go on runs and to give nova credit oklahoma went on a six plus minute scoring drought under 10 minutes in the first half they brought that three-quarter court press in They definitely had bench guys in longer. I like that there seemed to be a little bit of a shift in terms of players because that depth got so much bigger with Whitmore in the mix now. So I like the adjusting a lot of credit to Neptune there. It definitely feels like they're working to try and 
get better defensively because they were not good last weekend. No, they, they certainly were not. And I do think Cam Whitmore is going to give them a lot more versatility on defense, just again, with that athleticism and with all he brings out there uh, in terms of length. Yes, he's still going to have to learn. Yes, he's still going to have to really get comfortable in that system. But he really allows for Villanova to get a little more creative with some of the defensive schemes because it sometimes feels like Brandon Slater is the one guy that they can really look at as that you know, wing type defender to take on Mm -hmm. some of the bigger, more athletic opponents that Villanova is going to come against. Well, Whitmore now gives them another option there. And as Longino continues to heal up, he should be a a pretty solid one around there as well. So you feel better about this team and what they can become defensively. Now let's be clear. Things are still not good on defense. And I don't think they were particularly great on Saturday. Just as we know, Oklahoma is not a phenomenal scoring team. Villanova is still coming in clocking at 138th in the country in defensive efficiency. There is a long way to go here. Um, but you can start to see a little bit of signs of improvement. And I do think part of the game plan adjustments lead into that. Yeah. And I'll, I'll harp on one of the specific negatives that we've seen this season, but I don't think it's ever been cleared as it was on Saturday, offensive rebounding. So I'm curious, you mentioned Whitmore and how his size makes him an interesting defender on this team. I'm also interested to see how he's going to evolve as a rebounder because Villanova sure as hell needs him. (laughs) Uh, I mean, it was 12 to two. That can't against one of the worst offensive rebounding teams in the country. They allowed 12 offensive rebounds. That can't happen. I was, I was not happy about that uh, throughout the game and leaving Wells Fargo on Saturday. It's an interesting point you bring up about Whitmore. I wonder how much they're going to use him underneath the basket. I think they're going to try and keep him more on the perimeter because as we saw a little bit, what Whitmore brings is the ability to really run in transition and use that athleticism and get him out in the open floor. And if you have him camped further underneath the basket, you limit that opportunity a little more. So if Villanova wants to start to exploit transition, I wonder if they try and keep him a little farther out there. Now, of course, there are going to be times where he's backed into the post and hey, maybe he just turns into a beast rebounder as well. But with that added dimension that he can bring on the offense that it seems like they just don't have right now, I lead to believe that he may be a little further out. Yeah, and I'm totally fine with that as long as they realize that they're gambling on how good their offense can be. Mm -hmm. Because while their offense is better than their defense right now, it's definitely not top tier either. So it's a risk either way. I just thought this situation, (laughs) I mean, Godwin came off of Oklahoma's bench and I think had three offensive rebounds and three consecutive possessions. It was painful, even worse than Oregon. And that was really bad. So they've got to shore up their switching. They've got to stop biting on the opposing players first moves, which made it so easy for Tanner and Jacob Groves to make easy baskets. We talked about Dixon, being outside and that prevents him from getting the rebounds. Maybe they use Whitmore in the role that you talked about. That doesn't leave a lot of Nova rebounders there though. And they're getting killed. And luckily on the offensive side, it worked in their favor because Caleb was really good. Whitmore scored Dixon scored Slater scored, but it's not always going to be like that. So that is just, it's still a huge worry for me. It helps when you shoot 57% right. from the field as Villanova right. did on, on Saturday. And that that's a, it sounds obvious, but that is a huge reason why 
they were able to win this game is because while Oklahoma most definitely had second and third chances to come away with points when Villanova had their chances, they did seem to bury him, which is again, a difference though, from what we've seen over the last couple of weeks. Uh, and the offensive game plan was more different than that too. Uh, you will know I will be very, or was very excited about this, that Villanova attempted their least amount of three point attempts other than, of course, the game against Temple, where they did finish with 17 here on Saturday. I think the guards really set the tone early, and this kind of leads me into part of that seeing Villanova basketball come back. You know, Archie Diakono, Armstrong, and Daniels got in the lane early and often. They were looking to back down some of Oklahoma's guards, which aren't the most physical guys they'll go up against on the perimeter uh, throughout the year. They're just very solid defenders, especially around uh, the arc, they looked to be able to kick out and find shooters where they could. There were some different instances of guys cutting in. I know Whitmore made a couple slashes to the hoop. Slater did the same thing. It felt a lot more cohesive on offense. And I was really, really happy with that in the change in offensive game plan. And the man that encapsulated that the most was, of course, Caleb Daniels, who just had a phenomenal game on Saturday. We've mentioned Tulane Caleb as, you know, a guy that can really take over games and, and make shots. This was Villanova, Caleb Daniels. It was masterfully efficient, physically dominant, incredibly intelligent, and he hit one hell of a shot down the stretch, completely contested with the big three uh, with around a minute left in the game to really put Villanova ahead. I could not have been more impressed. We've called on them needing Caleb Daniels to come through this year, and he most certainly did on Saturday. Oh, my God, we have. And somebody on Twitter was saying, not to be dramatic, but is this the most important five minutes of the Villanova season. Could that five minutes when they took that time out make or break this Villanova season? And I don't think it was dramatic. I think it was true. They were able to come out on the right side of that statement. And it was because Daniels hit that shot. Again, we have talked ad nauseum about who would be the guy to take that shot. We said it would be Daniels. And he's missed a lot of those shots Mm -hmm. so far this season. And finally, he was able to hit it. What a game. And in general, offensively, it just didn't feel like they were pressing. And that shows in how few threes they took compared to other games. They only got to the free throw line 16 times. But I also didn't come away from that game feeling like they settled for a lot of shots. They did. And Daniels was so efficient. That was another thing. He wasn't settling for bad shots. When he had a good look, he took it. That shot from three deep or late in the game was extremely deep, which is just another testament to his talent. I was I was extremely happy with Daniels because he was able to drive. He made that a huge aspect of his game, which made him a dual threat, and his shooting was on, and it was just the perfect scenario for him. For sure. And two pieces, too, of kind of player evolution here that I want to make sure we touch on for that final three. It was all started because Eric Dixon picked up the ball and passed out of a double team very quickly and was able to find Arch, who swung it to Longino, who swung it to Dixon. Great ball movement there and phenomenal play recognition by Eric Dixon, which was incredibly important to knock down that three. And then when Villanova took the lead at 62-61, we basically saw a white whale, a unicorn, you may have as well. Uh, Brandon Slater went to his right. And he finished with a righty layup, which is not something we see very often. And not only did he attempt it in a in a massive moment in the game, but he pulled it off. And I think those are two huge plays by two very core players of Villanova that really show, again, some some progression and, and some development that is so key for this team to get on the right track. 
Yeah, they also had a few locked down defensive possessions to show that game up too. So definitely, I think development is the perfect word to encapsulate this win. You saw a ton of steps in the right direction, which is exactly what everybody needed to see. And we would be remiss if we did not mention this player as well, because I know we're hard on him. I know I'm hard on him, but Chris Archidiakono was very good on Saturday. And I thought he filled his role very solidly. He had a massive three to cut the deficit down to, uh, down to one uh, down the stretch here. He knocked a ball off Tanner Groves uh, late in the game to really help and swing possession of Villanova. And more so than just knocking a ball off of Tanner Groves, he outfought him for a rebound late in the game as well. Uh, I think Chris filled his, you know, position and what he's asked to do very well in this game. He hit two threes. No, yes, he did miss a couple of open ones as well. We kind of know that comes with the territory, but he did the little things really important, which as he plays these extended minutes, it's incredibly important that he's able to fill that job. And he did so on Saturday. Okay. So I have a serious question for you. Oh no. I think it's pretty obvious that fans do not see Arch in their dream starting five. And we're keeping more out of this because he's not back yet. So my question is, we, we've thrown out the idea of Whitmore starting or Armstrong starting, and that makes Arch the odd man out. My question for you is, he has played extremely well lately to the point where we're not talking about him because he's just doing what he should be doing and that's good and normally when we talk about him it's something negative so yeah. i think it's great but my question is if he's not starting what value is he bringing off the bench if that's what happens it's definitely not the scoring but why he would be shifting to the bench is because you're bringing someone else in to score so i actually don't think it's as big of a problem there I uh, if you see the minutes cut down, which is still something that I think a lot of us would like to see, uh, he did clock up 33 minutes on Saturday, which is a pretty extended amount of time. You know, it's the same amount of time Eric Dixon was out on the floor. But if in those minutes that he is out there, he's able to make an impact. He's able to do those little things correct. He's able to get in the lane. He's able to do box outs. You know, he's able to get to the line. He's able to back down his defender and and kick out and find some guys I think you are okay with that and you can live with that understanding then the talent that's going to be around him and maybe a healthier Longino, you know, a Cam Whitmore obviously coming in and then eventually a, a Justin Moore. So I'm okay with it. You just have to understand that his role is not, as we've discussed, you know, that microwave off the bench that yeah. maybe a Brendan Housen can be. He's going to fill a much more solid role. And if he's able to do that, which he's not always able to, which is why we've been hard on him for and seeing those deficiencies throughout the season. But if he is able to come up and make those plays, those are key to Villanova being able to win basketball games, which is why there is value to him. He just, right. it, the margin for error is much smaller because he's not able to hurt you in a bunch of different ways. Mm -hmm. That's what I've been running through my head because he's also probably on the best stretch of his collegiate career. So he's more than likely going to regress in the next few games because that's what everybody does. I've just been running it through my head because he's not the prototypical man off the bench who's going to provide this offensive spark. I'm tinkering with the idea of going back to, I don't I think it might've been Iowa state when they were doing offensive and defensive subs for Arch and Hausen. Was that that game or was it earlier in the season? I think it's happened a couple of games. Uh, I know yeah. it was definitely Delaware state was a okay. big one where it was happening. So 
maybe you do that. I remember still, I had a really hard time playing Arch in the full five minutes of overtime against Iowa State over Housen because you needed the offense. But then when you think about all the stuff that you listed off, how good he is at box out, box outs, how strong of a rebounder he is, he has that clutch gene that Villanova players possess. And I know that you love Armstrong and I love Armstrong and everybody knows how high his potential is. But when it comes down to it, which guy are you more comfortable having on the court knowing they're not going to make a mistake? It might be Arch. I may counter with you don't win by playing scared, but. Okay, fair enough. It, it, it's a, it's something I think we'll watch this season. I really like that Mark Armstrong played 15 minutes. I want to see that yeah. continue to grow as well. I, I think this was a very positive game for both Mark Armstrong and Chris Archdiakno. And in the grand scheme of things, that's what matters is that both, I think both guards played very well. Both guards handled what they were asked to do very well. And you want to see how that can continue to coexist. Very well said. They do not have to be mutually exclusive. I do not think so. I don't. <laughs> very, very well said. We can root for both guys and be happy that they're both getting playing time. Yes, exactly. Just depend on the minutes distribution going forward. But, you know, we can yeah. be happy they're both out there. <laughs> 100%. <laughs> all right. I think that I think I went through all my bullets. You got anything else on this game? No, that that's it. I'll, some, you know, the, the game planning differences, both on offense and defense, I think we're very big steps in the right direction mm-hmm. by Kyle and the staff. I think the execution was really strong. And to my earlier point, the, this felt like the first instance where we've seen Villanova basketball come out this year. It was tough. It was gritty. It was fundamentally sound. And in the end, it was winning basketball. Yeah. And just talk about a momentum shift going into a part of the season where it's easier, but they also have to start dominating before conference play starts. They have to win. That's what it comes yeah. down to now with this this stretch of three games before St. John's. They have to win. And it would have been so much harder to do that coming off of a demoralizing Wells Fargo Center loss to Oklahoma. So huge, huge, huge win for morale to, to end that winning streak. I mean, to end the losing streak, excuse me, to end Oklahoma's six-game losing. Oh, my God. I keep getting messing myself up. To end Oklahoma's six-game winning streak. And just put everything back in line. And it definitely feels like they've got some new energy and new blood. I love it, Pat. It was a Saturday was a very important and very key step forward. The important thing is that they're able to keep the momentum through the week with a big five game against Penn and then a game in Newark against Boston College. Excellent segue. I try. Let us talk about that game against Penn. Back at the Finn, like we mentioned at the beginning of this episode, the first time since Delaware State that Villanova is back at the Finneran Pavilion. Wednesday at 7 p.m., they welcome Penn for another big five game this season. Penn's five and six in the Ivy League. They have losses to LaSalle, St. Joe's, and a 30-plus point loss to West Virginia. So that Mm -hmm. was certainly one of their worst losses of the season. But they only lost by eight combined points to big five teams and they do have a win over Drexel. So pretty much a mixed bag in terms of their record so far. And similar to what we talked about with Temple, they've got a two-headed monster in their two big scores in Dingle and, and Slodger. It's a two-headed monster with one of the heads being a little larger than the other in <laughs> uh, in Jordan Dingle. But as you said, Slodger as well can, can most certainly hurt you from deep. You went through everything 
with Penn. They did have losses to St. Joe's and LaSalle as we look at that, that big five play. I do want to focus on Jordan Dingle first just to kind of you know, get it off how talented this kid is for Penn first. He's coming off 37 points against LaSalle on Saturday on 55% shooting, mind you. Just a season ago, he was first team all big five. He was the big five scoring champion. He was all tournament in the Ivy League. He was first team all Ivy League as a unanimous selection. And then in 2019, his freshman year, he was in the Ivy League rookie of the year. So there's plenty of pedigree that goes into Jordan Dingle. And again, just a very, very solid player. The stat that is so interesting for me and just shows you how Penn is playing this year, he takes... 36% of Penn's shots as a team. That is the sixth most of any player in the country for highest shot percentage. He is, we talk about guys being the guy for certain programs. That ball is going to be in Jordan Dingle's hands more often than not. And not only is it going to be in his hands more often than not, it is most likely going up when it's in his hands. Yeah. Huge defensive test. Absolutely huge defensive test. And we've also seen Dingle before. No, if I've seen Dingle before. We have. So hopefully they're able to adjust that game plan a little bit to take into account the steps he's taken offensively, despite even how good he was last year. Yeah, he he really is a stud. Uh, Just uh, a year ago, he scored 21 points against Villanova. He Mm -hmm. was not super efficient in that game. He took 19 shots. He made seven of them. But it kind of goes to the... uh, the ability that he has to hurt you and he can hurt you in many different ways. He's a very solid three point shooter. He can drive in the lane. He is very multi-talented. He's six foot three uh, at guard. So there's a little bit of physicality to go with him as well. He's a good player. He's shooting 36% from beyond the arc. He will turn the ball over, you know, a little bit. He's averaging about three per game, which is pretty hefty, but it's that high because the ball is just always in the man's hands. So, Mm -hmm. you know, sometimes he just doesn't hold on to it. Um, To your point, I'm very intrigued and excited to see Villanova try and match up against a Jordan Dingle and how they are going to match up with a Jordan Dingle in terms of assignment. I think Caleb Daniels is going to be on him a a pretty decent amount. I think Jordan Longino will also see time shadowing Dingle, but this is a very, very talented scorer here. I do not want it to be looked past that it's just, you know, a player from from Penn that you wouldn't think of maybe as the same pedigree as a Michigan State and Oregon and Oklahoma or so. But he very well may be the most talented straight-up scorer that Villanova's played this year. Well, yeah, I'm trying to think if anybody else comes to my mind. It, it, this reminds me of... Sherfield would be the only guy yeah, really, Sherfield to, was really to, good. to go at there. This reminds me of Javon Freeman Liberty from last year. Oh, I like that connection. DePaul. I like that like, a lot. Se- similar, just complete and total dependency on this player. They've got some size uh, Penn has, so I'm curious to see how offensive rebounding will play into this game. One of Dingle's weaknesses, though, and, and you mentioned it, is that turnover, and it goes into a larger issue for this entire team because Slodger also averages more than two turnovers a game. Penn turn Penn turns the ball over at one of the highest rates yeah, really in the bad. country. I mean, it's like bottom 20 in terms of D1 schools in the country. So that is definitely something Villanova has to exploit because they might get beaten when it comes down to rebounding because, again, they've got some big guys that I think will be able to body up the Dixons and the Slaters and potentially the Whitmores, whoever, whoever else is going to be down low. 
Villanova can try to counteract that by bringing that press back and forcing as many turnovers as they can so that they can pick up the pace and score offensively. Turnovers are Penn's kryptonite, um, to, yeah. to your point. Not only do they turn the ball over a ton on offense, they are completely incapable of forcing them on defense. They are in the bottom 10 in the country in defensive turnover percentage. It's just they're, they're not able to turn teams over. And in a way, as we've seen where Villanova has struggled with that from time to time, you're not able to generate easy buckets that mm-hmm. way as well. So while this Penn team can score, you know, they come in around 100th in offensive efficiency, it's they won't hurt you as much in terms of finding those easier shots because they're just not able to find you in a really vulnerable position because they just don't turn you over. Yeah. So we've definitely talked about this a lot. I'm just going to say it and make it very black and white. Villanova doesn't do or hasn't done a very good job so far this season, turning defense into offense. And I think this game could be the first time that they start to shift that they have had moments where that press first forces turnovers and they're able to get a huge stop late in the game. It actually seems like the late Villanova stop has turned sort of vintage so far in this early season, but I can still pretty much count on my hands, the amount of times that they've truly forced that turnover and it has turned into a transition layup on the other side of the court. That does not happen Mm. very often. So I would love to see that be a priority knowing that similar to Oklahoma's weakness was their offense and Villanova tried to adjust the defensive schemes to help exploit that. I'm hoping that changing the defensive schemes to force turnovers will be the number one priority for Nova. Yeah, at least saw a little bit of it on Saturday. I I didn't see the number they finished with because for some reason this number is impossible to find online for me. So if anyone knows where to find it, please shoot it my (laughs) way. But Points off turnovers, you know, obviously yeah. are a really important stat here. Villanova had at least 10, because I know I looked up at the Wells Fargo scoreboard and saw it at 10 uh, late in the second half. That's something that Nova has not done really at all, to your point, this year. it's You started to see it on Saturday. I wonder if, to your point, this is a game we can see them try and grow on that. And again, what I want to watch, and, and Jay Wright called it out, which we haven't really talked about it, but... It was cool to see Jay Wright on the broadcast yeah. and excited to see him make his full debut um, during that Penn game as well. Uh, you know, I want to see Villanova try and run and transition in a little more. And I wonder if the personnel, you know, you get an Armstrong out there, you get a Whitmore out there, you get a Longino out there. That's some athleticism. That's some guys that can run the floor. That's, you know, with Whitmore and Armstrong guys, we saw run the floor basically all game, every game at the FIBA championships over the summer. I want to see some more of that. And this does feel like an opportunity to really bust that out a bit more. Yep. That's exactly what I was going to say. It all comes down to personnel. So transitioning to Jay right now, who, by the way, will be making his CBS debut Full on debut. Wednesday. Full debut. Cause he got like <laughs> what, 10 minutes in against Oklahoma or something. Yeah. It was extremely surreal. I would actually love if you wanted to tweet at us at S O N N pod, what your experience was like listening to Jay Wright speak about Villanova in the third person. I would love to know because I actually got chills. It was so (laughs) weird. And also to hear him be honest about this team for the first time in 20 years, he just hasn't been able to have this type of transparency because he's always Fort Knox, I mean, he's the epitome of Fort Knox, keeping everything so close to the vest. But to hear him talk about how, oh, he mentioned Slater going to his right. He was like, yeah, defenses know that Slater's strong-handed his left, so they've got to try and force him to go to his right. 
yeah, you see Villanova playing a lot of their freshmen. They're not known to do that. Yeah, no. You know what, Jay? Because that's what you've been doing. Finish that sentence. Um, <laughs> no, no shit. I, I, I laugh that you say that because I, I, I do credit them. I, I saw the tweet from, you know, Chris Robin, Willie from the Full 40, who, of course, do an awesome job uh, tweeting about Jay Wright being the one to say Villanova rarely plays two freshmen on the floor <laughs> at the same time. That's in- incredible content, by the way. So thank you for that, Jay. Uh, and that's actually a big reason why I recorded the game as well, despite being at it, was because I knew he was going to be on and I wanted to hear from him. It was, I I mean, I thought he did a a solid job with it. I still, I understand what CBS is doing because they're putting him in with Villanova because they know it's comfortable. They know obviously he knows that roster. He's He's way too close to the program. And in my opinion, he should not be on Villanova games to start because you think he's going to insult Kyle Neptune. You think he's going to say something that Chris Archidiacono did that that didn't work out. It's never going to happen. So from a broadcasting standards wise, uh it's not great though for jay in a career-wise i think it's very cool that that he's on the broadcast i'm excited you know to to watch and listen uh on wednesday night and and with him moving forward as well but it's also gonna take a little bit to get used to yeah that that, it was just so out of body to hear it um you will also probably know once i say it that they still talked about the suits and he's too um I think popular is the best word still. He's still too popular with all the guys that they spend a lot of time talking about stuff that's not the game. Well, Raph's like <laughs> and, his best friend. So right. when you pair them they together, were... it's awesome to hear, but you have to know the context that these are two great friends just having fun during a basketball game. Exactly. So that was a lot of sift through, to, to sift through. And I feel the same way. I would love to listen to Jay Wright broadcast a Creighton Yukon game. Or yeah, a... that'd be fun. Kentucky Gonzaga game but he is way too close to Villanova to objectively be a color analyst for them just a bit. there's just no way just but it'll still be cool regardless it's still cool to hear him talk about it and he's obviously one of the smartest minds in college basketball so he it'll knows what he's talking layer. about when he analyzes this game yeah. yeah it'll be it'll be a fun layer to add on to onto Wednesday's game so most certainly looking forward to that it's a, it's a rough transition, but I got to go with one more. Just one more point for this Villanova-Penn game that I want to make sure we get in here. Um, for Villanova, I think this game can especially be won at the free throw line. Mm. Penn, on average, allows 20 free throw attempts per game, which is incredibly high, as, as you hear it there. And Villanova shoots 82% right now, which is good for fifth in the country. I think if Nova can get to the foul line, continue with that more aggressive offensive game plan by getting in the lane, they're able to find those easy points that Villanova lived off of from a year ago and was a massive reason why they were able to get so far. Yeah, fifth in the country is a little low for their standards. They got to bring that up. Embarrassing. How can you only shoot 82% <laughs> from the line? But the funny thing is that I, that's what I wish they would do every single game. I mean, if we get to just see Cam Whitmore drive on Penn every possession, I think that would make everybody pretty happy. I could vouch for that. That's what I'm hoping for. So uh, I want to watch Whitmore shot selection. I want to see if he's a little more secure with the ball, you know, get maybe get some of the yips out of the from being in your first collegiate game and at Wells Fargo and all of that, though. I'm sure he's going to want to impress the students, uh, you know, on campus for the first time. Uh, I want to see if it's a little bit more composed of a, a performance from him. But you know, as we said, the the talent is so ridiculous. It jumps off the page at you and uh, it gets you pretty damn excited. Yeah, I feel the same way. Um, prediction on his minutes restriction and then game prediction. And then I will do the same. 
I'm going to say 25 minutes okay. on, on Wednesday. So that's an increase of five minutes from Saturday. And I think Villanova wins this one. Uh, I know you love your scores. Um, oh, man. And, and <laughs> I was you know, close against Oklahoma. You were close. Too. You were close. And you know I hate giving these two. But I'll say like uh, 72 to 60. Okay. I, that's so funny. I was going to say 12 points. I think they score a little more. I, I, I think in the 25 to 30 minute range for Cam, I don't know if we can expect until – you know, another month or so for him to start playing 33 plus minutes from a purely conditioning perspective. That's just a lot to ask from somebody. So I think 25 to 30 minute range. I think he scores in double digits for the first time this season as well. That'd be fun. After scoring seven against Oklahoma. I will also go with a 12 point win, but I'm going to say 80 to 68. That's 12, right? That, that most certainly is. I just, yeah. I, I don't want Penn to score 68 points, but. <laughs> <laughs> All right, fine. We'll, we'll bring the deficit up and we'll, we'll do like 80 to 65. Yeah. Very, very nice. Very nice. All right, we'll go nice with it. So we both think Villanova wins uh, on Wednesday. It's an important game, as we said, you know, and we'll talk about it more as we go into Boston college. This is an incredibly key stretch for Nova to try and build some momentum here. They picked up the big one against Oklahoma. They have to keep it going. Uh, against a team like Penn that's a little down um, from what we've seen in previous years. As we talk about the Big Five, if you remember, you know we discussed Temple being, and we very much said going into that game, be very careful. This is a talented Temple team that can cause some problems for Villanova. I do not find this to be the same case. Villanova should win this game. They are at home. Well, of course, it's Big Five and anything can happen. Uh, I do expect the Wildcats to handle their business. It was a good win against Oklahoma. It was a great win, I actually think, but... Villanova is still looking for their first dominant win of the season. We've said the word dominant like six times in this podcast. They have to get at least one, hopefully two in this stretch before a conference play starts. Find a groove, find a groove. And this is an opportunity to do so at home on campus with Cam Whitmore back. You know, things are starting to trend a little bit better in the Wildcats direction. So got to keep it going. Agree. And make sure you are subscribed to our podcast because Pat and I will be recording right after the Penn game ends on Wednesday night. And we will have the full game recap in your mailbox Thursday morning. With plenty to review of Jay Wright's performance as well. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. By the way, people, CBS CBS Sports Network Wednesday night. Be sure to get ready. Find those uh, TV logins and everything. Make sure you're ready for (laughs) for that game. At least it's not St. John's at 9 p.m. on a well, I guess it is a Wednesday. I was going to say 9 p.m. on a Tuesday. That's usually what CBS Sports Network does to us. It's yeah, that, that's our favorite DePaul game of the year. Um, that'll come in <laughs> yeah, January. Exactly. <laughs> but, all right. That'll do it for us here on the State of the Nova Nation podcast presented by VU Hoops. Be sure to check out VUHoops.com for plenty of content all season long. Subscribe to the show on iTunes. Follow us on Spotify and follow us on Twitter at Pod. Everyone enjoy the game on Wednesday night. We will be back at it on Thursday with a recap and Nova Nation. That's a wrap.